You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, we're in Mark chapter 6. We're going through the gospel of Mark. We're talking about growing in the likeness of Christ. This is a journey for all of us. Beginning in Mark chapter 1, we usually try to take a look at a portion of each chapter, maybe a story, a parable, a passage of scriptures. So let me give you a little context for the passage we're going to look at this morning. Lake of Foundation, okay? Jesus had been rejected by his hometown. His, his teachings were being rejected as he would teach them in his hometown where he lived. And we find in Mark chapter 6, verse number 4, that Jesus says to them, a prophet is not without honor except... In his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. So, as a result of that, he could do no mighty work there. Except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Wow. Stunning, isn't it? And so then he takes and develops a plan for the disciples to go two by two. And he talks about this plan. He introduces kind of how he's going to work this with these guys. And uh, they have a good staff meeting. They are sent out. They're told exactly what to do, where to stay, how to be provided for. It's an incredible passage of Scripture. And then we come to this in verse 12 of Mark 6. So they went out and they proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons. Man, things are happening. It's completely different from a few verses before. And they anointed many with oil who were sick, and they healed them. Wow. I mean, God is working, and things are happening, and results are evident, and people are being healed, and lives are being changed. This is amazing. But then all of a sudden, Mark wants to make sure that we as followers of Christ would understand that serving God is not always easy. He just sent them out two by two. Everything's going great. Things are happening. There's a lot of joy. There's a lot of celebration. But here's what Mark chooses to do next. Mark chooses to talk about the martyrdom of John the Baptist. And Mark is saying here that it's not always good times. In fact, Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest man born in this world. And yet he was rejected. His teachings were rejected. And he was martyred for the stand that he took. So Mark puts these two truths out there together. The first one is this, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's going to bring you great joy, excitement, celebration, miracles. It's incredible. But right alongside that, it also includes difficulty. And living the Christian life can be very challenging. And there's never been a time that we need to be prepared more than right now for both. For both of those scenarios. You know, none of us here probably would feel even close to being a John the Baptist. I know I don't. But I know one thing. In this story, I don't want to be Herod. And so I want you to look at this. As we look at the life of Herod, I want to give you a message today that is a warning message. In fact... The title of the message is How to Keep from Driving Off of the Cliff. And this message comes from an experience that I had 
just driving a long way this past uh, month on vacation. We went to Scottsdale, Arizona. Everybody asked when I said that, so did you fly? And the answer was no, we drove. And when you drive over a thousand miles and it takes three days to get there with 13 kids, five grandkids and a couple of babies, it can be traumatic. And that's exactly what we did. We drove and we found along the way as I would drive some different scenarios that I experienced that that are warning signs along the way as I drove all that way and praise God safely, made it there safely. But we did have a flat tire. It was dangerous. I mean, we, are th- we thank God for a pretty thick, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, shoulder. Yeah, thank you. Pretty thick shoulder there. We, but still, I mean, the flat was on the driver's side, so trucks were going by. I put out these suitcases because I didn't have any of those flares, right? I had massive suitcases along the side of the road, and I was pushing everybody back, and the wind would kind of you know, move the vehicle every time it would pass by those big trucks, you know, but I'm grateful for that shoulder. I'm grateful for that. Those we would hear every now and then when I would veer to the right, just a little bit, you'd hear those rivets kind of loud in the car to to get you back on track. Sometimes we noticed in Flagstaff, Arizona, going over these big mountains that there was a guardrail, but that was it. I mean, after the guardrail, there was a cliff. And if there was no guardrail, or if you went through the guardrail, you're going over the cliff. I mean, there were so many things along the way that reminded me of some of the warnings that God gives us in the Christian life. I love encouraging messages. I do. I'm thankful for encouraging messages. They're great. In fact, that's what last week was. Last week's message was an encouraging message about desperation prayer. And it resulted in around 18 men showing up Thursday at 6.30 a.m. in the auditorium. And we cried out to God on behalf of some incredible prayer requests in tears it was emotional it was powerful it was encouraging i think all of us left the building thursday morning at 7 30 we were like this is really good i needed this and we're doing it again men this thursday morning at 6 30 it was encouraging i love teaching messages you know messages that just sort of give you practical truth 10 ways to do this five ways not to do this i love teaching messages but this is a warning message and Jesus taught Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 28, him we proclaim warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we might be able to present everyone mature in Christ. So the message this morning is, is I have scriptural authority. I have a mandate from God as a proclaimer of the word of God to give this Warning, because it's one thing to wreck your car, but it's another thing to wreck your life. And so here we go. Herod, interesting character. How to keep from driving off the cliff. Number one, let's jump in. If you're avoiding issue resolution, let's just say this, you're driving too fast. If you're avoiding issue resolution, maybe not right away, Will you go over the cliff? It might, be, it might not be in the next few minutes or the next few days or the next few weeks or even the next few months. But eventually, if you keep driving too fast, eventually you're going to go over the cliff in your life, in your life, personally. If you are avoiding dealing with issues, you're sweeping them under the rug, you're turning your head, you're, you're, you're making excuses, you're just not dealing with it. So jump in with me at Mark chapter number 6, beginning at verse 14. King Herod heard of it. 
For Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah. And others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Who is this King Herod? Where there was this king called Herod the Great. In fact, when I went to Israel back in January with a bunch of folks here at our church, we went to Israel and we found out that there may have been a reason why Herod was called Herod the Great, the father of these other little Herods, if you will. Herod the Great built some great... He was a whack job. Look, he had a lot of problems in his life and his family was highly dysfunctional as you're about to see. But the guy could build some things. He was an incredible leader. He was probably very manipulative and there's a lot of negative things we could say, but just for a moment could I say that I could see how they could have called him Herod the Great. But this is not Herod the Great. He had several sons and each of these sons took the name Herod and they put it in front of their name. This particular Herod that we're reading about is Herod Antipas. He was really not a king. He was called a king in this passage, but he was really a tetrarch. In fact, if you study a little bit, you'll find that it's just interesting that Herod uh, Antipas attempted to become a king, but Caesar made sure that he did not become a king, and he gave his sons, unlike Herod the Great, he gave his sons a fourth And that's what Tetrarch is. It's a fourth. It represents a quarter of power. He took a fourth of the region that he was in charge of. And each one of these little Herods, Herod the Great's four sons, were a ruler over a fourth of the kingdom there. And my, 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 their lives were full of drama. There is no modern soap opera that has anything on this family. Let me give you one example. Mark 6, verse 17. For it was Herod, Herod Antipas, one of the four sons. It was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Wow. It takes a while to kind of consume that. I mean, what's happening here? This is crazy. So you got four Herods. You got Herodias, so one of the brothers is the dad. Then there's another brother, Philip, who is the ex. And then there's another brother, Herod Antipas, who stole Herodias from Philip. Now he's the, the, the father, uh, the, the husband at the moment. Are we dysfunctional here? Is this not a dramatic, soap opera, dysfunctional family? And how many would agree that John the Baptist would have a problem with that? No question about it. And he did have a problem with it. Mark chapter 6, verse, again, verse 17. We'll read it again, just so 18 and 19 will make more sense. And it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. Wow, that's just sick. For John had been saying to Herod, John had been what? John the Baptist? Had a relationship with Herod. It's amazing. It's amazing. So they were friends. They had a relationship. Maybe it was a counseling relationship. I'm sure it included hearing some of John's messages. So so John, it says here, had been saying to Herod, Herod, listen to me. It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and watched him, wanted uh, him to be put to death, but she could not. Herod 
had some serious unresolved issues in his life. I'm sure he avoided counsel. I'm sure he avoided the messages. I'm sure he sat in some of the services like we're sitting in this one. It was somehow able to walk out and be totally unchanged by what he heard. And so I begin with this. I wonder why. Maybe he was just too busy to deal with it. Maybe he just had so many, so many things on his plate, so much going on, so, many, so much at risk. I'm really not sure why, but I want to say this. If you, listen, if you have a conflict in your marriage, deal with it now. Right now. Don't keep waiting and driving too fast. You're going to eventually go over the cliff. If you have a son that has wrong friends, sit him down and deal with it now. Stop saying, you know, well, he'll grow up one day. He'll get it. He'll realize it. It'll all work out. Deal with it. If you have a secret sin that's persisting in your life, deal with it. If your spiritual life is really just a facade, let me challenge you. Deal with that right now. If you're standing on the edge of a relationship that you know you have no business being in, just not good for you, it's going to lead maybe to adultery, maybe to something that would destroy. Deal with it now. Quit pressing the accelerator. If you have a bitter or unforgiving spirit towards someone, let me challenge you. Deal with it. Don't think you can just handle it. You're driving too fast. It is said that if you drive 50 miles an hour and you're going to slam on the brakes to avoid a crash, it takes you 125 feet. That's doable. I mean, most of the time we might, we probably have 125 feet if we're driving 50 miles an hour somewhere. But it said when you drive five times that fast, or rather, excuse me, when you drive twice as fast as 50, 100 miles an hour, it takes four times that to stop. It takes 500 feet to stop when you're driving 100 miles an hour. So if you don't deal with these unresolved issues in your life, believe me, you will not be able to stop before you drive over the cliff. So this is how it starts. It all starts when you don't deal with unresolved issues. You say, well, pastor, okay. You got a point, but I'm okay so far. I mean, I, I mean I'm sure eventually one day I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it. So, so what happens next? Number two, if you don't deal with it, if, if you are trivializing spiritual truth, because that's the very next thing Herod did. If you're trivializing spiritual truth... You're asleep at the wheel. Mark chapter 6, verse number 19. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. I wonder why she couldn't put him to death. Very interesting reason. It's in the next verse. For Herod feared John. This is awesome. This is an amazing thing. Herod had such a relationship with John that he knew that he was a holy man. He knew that he was a righteous man. So because of that, he kept him safe. He had had respect for him. He, He knew there was something different about John the Baptist. So when he heard him, again, Herod heard John the Baptist speak and preach and teach. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. 
I think that's very significant. He couldn't understand. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't quite get it. And yet, even though he couldn't quite get it, it says what? He heard him gladly. He liked it. He thought it was pretty cool. Man, John the Baptist, he, he sure is a good speaker. He sure knows what, he, what he's saying. I mean, I'm actually enjoying these messages. He's got something to say. Now, what was John the Baptist's message? He only had one. Does anybody know what it is? Anybody want to take a guess what the one message John the Baptist had? Raise your hand and I'll point that to you. One message. All right, all the way in the back. Repent. You scored 100 on the only test we're going to take this morning. That was it. Repent. And by the way, I've never had anybody raise their hand in the back. You're the first one in the history of my ministry. (laughs) Repent. One sermon. But somehow, Herod enjoyed it he heard him gladly Herod was trivializing spiritual truth can you imagine having a conversation with Herod can you imagine hey Herod where are you going today oh actually tonight I'm going to hear John the Baptist preach want to go you're going to hear John hmm, what's he speaking on tonight oh he's in the middle of a sermon series about marriage it's incredible he's talking about how you should treat your wife and you know, what the Bible says about marriage and, and how to have a good marriage. And he's actually teaching also, you know, that if you don't listen, that, you, you know, God will judge you one day for that. Well, Herod, do you, do you understand what he's teaching? Well, well, not exactly, but man, he can sure tell a good story. <laughs> he's funny. I like him. He's entertaining. Herod is taking something designed for life change and he's making it entertainment. Let me make make an announcement this morning. I don't mind. I love to laugh and I love to tell stories. And some people will tell me even, you know, preacher, I love your stories and you tell good stories. And sometimes we laugh in church and we have a good time and there's nothing wrong with that. By the way, this was not John the Baptist's fault. This was Herod's fault. And I want to make this statement this morning that what is happening here today is not entertainment. And what happens next week and what happened last week, this is not entertainment. And if you're looking at it that way, you, my friend, are trivializing spiritual truth. If you're hearing teaching from God on how to love your wife more and you're not doing it, you are trivializing spiritual truth. If you're hearing a message about how to walk with God and be filled with the Spirit and you're not doing it, You're trivializing spiritual truth. If you're hearing a message on on how you should increase your faith and be more like Christ and you're doing nothing about it, you're trivializing spiritual truth. You see, Gospelite is truly a place to grow in the likeness of Christ. That's why we're here. That's our goal this morning. And if you are trivializing spiritual truth, you are in danger, my friend. You are asleep at the wheel. Have you ever been asleep at the wheel? I have. Oh, I remember when I was in Bible college, we had this thing that we stayed up really late. We took these kids back home on, that rode our bus that we brought to church. And we would sometimes get back like at 1 o'clock in the morning from doing this. And so I married the, you know, for one year while I was finishing my master's degree there at the college. And we would drive back sometimes at midnight. And no joke, I mean... 
I, I almost didn't wreck, our, I didn't wreck our marriage because we were fighting. I almost wrecked our marriage because I was falling asleep at the wheel. <laughs> and I remember I learned something about my wife. She's an incredible hand massager. You can ask her. This is what I did every week. I'd say, honey, just massage my hand. I'm so tired. And she would find, she'd find places and joints and things. And I would just, oh, I, oh. I, would, I just, I would grunt and groan, stay awake. Sometimes I would, she'd massage the left, I'd drive with the right. And then other times I'd, I'd drive with the, you're never going to drive with me, are you? <laughs> After these stories, you're going to be like, I'm never going to, don't worry, I don't have a car. It's all good. So, oh man, I mean, it was crazy. But it was dangerous. And if you are asleep at the wheel today because you're trivializing spiritual truth, you're in danger of wrecking your life. Well, pastor, I'm I'm here. I've I've come this far. What happens if I don't? Well, let's look at Herod. Number three, if you're excusing sin, my friend, you're on loose gravel. If you're excusing sin, notice Mark chapter 6, verse number 21. Mark 6, 21. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet. Only a despot king would throw his own birthday party. This dude was crazy. And he does it for just nobles, military commanders, and leading men of Galilee. Notice the guest list is all men. It's a stag party. All men, but entertainment provided by females. Look at the next verse. For when Herodias' daughter, this would have been his great niece, this would have been Herod Antipas's great niece, when Herodias' daughter came in and danced. Now, just so we know, that this was not like square dance. Okay? Just in case you're wondering, this is not like polka. Okay? I don't know exactly what they were doing, but I don't think it was a fun little cute thing. In fact, it says, and we won't go into detail, and you'll know why, and I, we've got mixed crowd here. She, she actually pleased Herod and his guests. So whatever she was doing in this stag party, it was sure making these men happy. I didn't really know what to say about this, so I got my commentary out that Harry Ironside wrote. I, I, I like these old-time preachers. He's got a commentary he wrote in 1948. He was the pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago when he wrote this. And here is what Harry Ironside said about this verse. And I quote, This is describing a vile orgy of drunkenness and debauchery. Clearly a pagan festival that began with alcohol, continued with perversity, and in a moment will conclude with murder. Herod had no business looking at this girl. First of all, because it was his, his stepdaughter or his great niece, I'm not sure, I'm trying to figure that out, but many other reasons, maybe both, but many other reasons why he should not have been looking at her. But notice the last part of the verse. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I'll give it to you. We don't know exactly what the girl did to warrant that response from Herod, but that's pretty strong. So just ask me for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. 
up to half my kingdom. Now, he didn't literally mean half the kingdom. But what he did mean was, I'm going to give you something great. Something of great wealth. Maybe a great gift. I mean, I, I am going to blow you away with the gift that I give you. Now, I read that and I think, I wonder if there was anyone there. Like, did Herod have even one friend that would have said, what are you thinking, Herod? I know that in my office at times I've had people sitting there and they'll tell me something and I'll say, what are you thinking? I mean, this is crazy. What are you thinking? And I've heard these responses in my office and so I can't help but to wonder if this would be the response that Herod gave. I can handle it. I got this. It's not a big deal. It's just not a big deal. I've heard this response. I'm not hurting anyone. I mean, she doesn't know what I'm thinking. (laughs) I mean, I'm alone in the room watching pornography, but nobody else knows. So really, who's it hurting? I've heard this one. I know when to pull back. I'm in control. I'm telling you, preacher. I know when to stop drinking. I I usually have one glass, maybe two, but as soon as I feel the buzz, I pull back. I got this. I've been doing it for weeks. I'm becoming a a, a drinker that can control it. So don't worry about me, preacher. I got this. I wonder if Herod would have responded like that. And how often do we lie to ourselves? I can handle this flirtatious temptation. I can handle it. I can control myself. We're fooling ourselves. If you're excusing sin, you're on loose gravel. Anybody ever been on loose gravel? I was making a visit to Hot Springs Village, and uh, I was visiting someone who had visited our church, and at the time, this was years ago, I had a little Mazda truck. These trucks, I would never do that again. These these trucks, they're so small. I mean, they're like, like, I remember being able to pick up the back. I'm not even strong. Pick up the back of it. You know, I'm like, this thing's nothing. So small, so light. So I'm driving down the road in the village. If you've ever been to the village, there's curvy roads. There's roads you don't see. You know, you, you kind of, you're going, you come around a curve, and you're like, wow, that was a little bit. I'm glad I was going slow, but this time I wasn't going slow. I was going too fast. I didn't know the curve was that sharp. And as I came into the curve, I hit gravel. It was probably the scariest moment I can ever remember driving. I was totally out of control. I mean, there was nothing I could do. The gravel took the truck, the little monster truck, way off the road into the, onto the grass, nearly into a tree. And all I remember was thinking, this is it. And then it stopped and I kind of went like this and okay, I'm, I'm alive. And I remember I just, I stayed there in the woods for about a minute just praising and thanking God that it wasn't worse than it was. Listen, if you're excusing sin, that's you. And it's not going to be long before you go over that cliff. Well, preacher, I appreciate this. I, I think I'm, but you know, I'm okay. So what's next? Well, let's look at the next thing that happened. If you're ignoring internal alarms, you're going through the guardrail. Because God, in his grace, has placed 
an internal alarm inside all of us, and it's called the conscious. You see, if an external alarm went off, like for instance, for a kid, it might be a parent who screams out, don't touch that, or go clean your room. You know, that's an alarm for a child, and they usually respond in some way or another. Or maybe if a fire alarm went off this morning, it'd be really loud. We'd all react and run and hide and and make sure we weren't burnt with that because of that external alarm. But what about the internal alarm that God has placed in us? I want to give you, by the way, this, this alarm, it needs no batteries and it always works. Pretty cool. It's an amazing thing. Let me give you four biblical things about a conscious. Number one, all people have a conscious. Everybody has one. It's used 30 times in the New Testament, and it means this, to know yourself. To know yourself. It is a sense of right and wrong. When I listen to my conscience, I'm usually happy. It's usually a good thing, and I experience joy. When I ignore my conscience and I go against it, there's usually danger and tragedy, and I usually end up hurting myself and sometimes others. Number two. Not only does everyone have one, but your conscience is conditioned by what you know. For instance, someone who says, well, I just didn't know that. Well, the truth is it doesn't matter because if the Bible says it, then it's right. Thus, the reasoning behind before I was saved, why I would often do things and it wouldn't bother me. I mean, I would just do them. I had... I had no knowledge of the fact that it was wrong. But after I got saved, those same things that I did that didn't bother me now bothered me. And I had an internal alarm going on saying, you know, maybe you shouldn't do this. Because what happened was my conscience was connected to the Holy Spirit. And now that my conscience was connected to the Holy Spirit through being born again, now things were bothering me that used to not bother me because I knew what was right. And I just kept growing in that. Number three, your conscience is conditioned by what you do. This is amazing. And this is why we talk about submitting ourselves to Christ and surrendering to Christ. Because the more you submit your life to Christ and please the Lord, the more sensitive your conscience becomes. It's so cool. It's amazing. I have found in my life that as I continue to give more of my life to Christ and pour more of my life out to Christ and I want to please him more and I want to do what he says and submit, the more I do that, the more sensitive I become in my conscience to want to do the right thing. In fact, there's three different consciences mentioned in Scripture that help us. Before I give you the four things, let me give you these. And they're all found in the Word of God. Number one is the wounded conscience. We see it in... 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 12, it talks about this wounded conscience. And it's sinning against Christ. And when we don't respond, when we don't listen to that internal alarm and respond to our wounded conscience and we continue to, to just ignore it and we keep on going, then what happens is the second conscience that we can have is a calloused conscience. And in Acts chapter number 28, it speaks of the people's heart had become calloused. They could hardly hear with their ears. They could hardly see with their eyes. They could hardly understand with their hearts. And the prayer was, God, heal them. But if they ignore their wounded conscience, their heart becomes calloused and they continue to sin. They ignore that internal alarm. It's not as loud as it once was. It's quieter than it once was, but it's still there. But they ignore it. And then the third conscience is a seared conscience. 
In 1 Timothy 4, 2, it says, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. They feel no pain anymore. They don't even hear the internal alarm. Because when you sin over and over and over and over and over and over again in your action or in your attitude, you sear your conscience. And then number four, to ignore the voice of your conscience is extremely dangerous. It's dangerous to you. It's like pulling the guardrail off the highway that's protecting you from going over the cliff. It's like taking down the rail off a 25-floor balcony and you've got children. It's like taking uh, the ripping off the warning label off the bottle of pain medicine and putting it back in the refrigerator. Who does that? Well, people who ignore their internal alarm. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19 says, Holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Don't forget that. Because at the end of the day, this is what breaks my heart. So many who have had a relationship, who have had experienced the victory, but then have, have ignored the message, ignored the preaching, ignored the opportunity to respond, and made shipwreck by rejecting their conscience. They've made shipwreck their faith. I want you to watch now as Herod ignores his conscience and crashes into the guardrail. It begins in verse 23 of Mark chapter 6. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. So she goes out and she says this to her mother. I can imagine she was excited. She's like, oh man, we got him where we want him. He is, he is, out, he is so enamored with me. I'm going to tell my mom. He just told us we could have whatever we want. So she runs into her mother. She says, Mom, guess what? We could have whatever we want. What do you want? I'm thinking she's thinking, well, let's ask for money. I mean, I think the dude's willing to go to the ATM right now. He's going to give us, Mom, this is incredible. We can finally have what we want. And to her surprise, says here, her mother said, I want the head of John the Baptist. I'm thinking maybe she would have, thinking she didn't hear her mother, said, John the Baptist is the head of what? No. Listen, I want his head on a platter. She had to freak out. I mean, any teenage girl would freak out when your mom looks at you and says, I want a man's head chopped off more than I want money, more than I want things. In fact, maybe she argued with her. Mom, are you thinking straight? You want a dude's head? We could have whatever we want. No, we can't have what we want until we get this man's head. And she came immediately with haste to the king and she asked, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I'm kind of picturing her walk in with a platter, you know. And I'm thinking John the Baptist is like, here she comes, guys, here she comes. And she's got this platter. And he's like, oh, she brought us some food. She lifts it and she says, on this platter, I want John the Baptist's head. And the king was exceeding sorry. If you take notes in your Bibles, you may want to write in the margin of your notes, that was his conscience. That was his conscience. Oh, I didn't plan to go in this direction. The head of John the Baptist? 
but because of his oaths. Here was his reasoning. Because he made a promise. Because of his guest, his reputation. You know, I said this out loud. Everybody heard what I said. I can't go against what I said. And so he quickly reasons himself. He chooses the head of his friend, John the Baptist, over a party. Wow. I wrote this down. When we are more concerned about looking good than doing good, when we're more concerned about looking the part than living the part, (laughs) when we're more concerned about appearing to be righteous than actually being righteous, ah, we're going through the guardrail. Let me ask you this. Are you ignoring right now? Are you ignoring? Have you been ignoring an internal alarm? You have a flirtatious relationship with someone at the office. You do. Maybe you do. You've been standing close to her and She's been telling you things that make you feel good. And you're actually kind of looking forward to Monday morning to see where this thing goes. Where's it going next? It's kind of fun. But I'm in control. I got this. Listen. Listen to that internal alarm. Maybe you are feeling strongly drawn into a growing addiction. And you know, at first it was no big deal. It was just, you know, a little bit and, and you were controlling it. But man, lately it's kind of been getting a little more of a problem. But, but, but still, I mean, you're, you're not like in a rehab or anything and you haven't lost your family. So it's like, and it does help you kind of work and it, you feel better for a little while. Deal with it. Listen to this internal alarm. Maybe you're isolating yourself from an important relationship. You've been pulling back from church or pulling back from small group or pulling back from good, godly friends that that love you and and often provoke you to righteousness. It can be even uncomfortable, but, but you know that it's best for you. But lately you've been isolating yourself and pulling away. Listen to that internal alarm. Because all along your conscience has been saying, no, 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 don't do that. Don't flirt. Don't, don't, don't do that. Don't take that again. No, 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 don't go to church to do the right thing. And you've been hearing it, but now it's getting quieter. It's not near as loud as it used to be. You are a disaster waiting to happen. Listen. Well, pastor, what happens if I don't? Well, there's a fifth thing. And if you're embracing open rebellion, you're driving over a cliff. You know, by now you would think in this passage, and we're almost done, you would think, you know, well, Herod, surely Herod's going to press on the brakes. I mean, good night. This this is crazy. Surely he's not going to chop John the Baptist's head off. No no way. Surely he's going to press on the brakes. This is going to end good, right? No, in fact, let me tell you, I got some bad news. He actually presses on the accelerator and goes so fast And so quick, look at what happens. And immediately, the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. Immediately, with no time wasted, he went and beheaded him in the prison. He brought his head on a platter. He gives it to the girl, and the girl gives it to her mother. And when the disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Let's find ourselves 
in this story. Are you avoiding issue resolution? Is there something in your life that you're just avoiding it and it's time to deal with it? If you're not dealing with it, you're driving too fast. Are you trivializing spiritual truth? I mean, hey, I like you, Brother Eric, and I come here and it is interesting. I mean, this message wasn't my favorite, but I've liked all the others. You're asleep at the wheel. If you're excusing sin, I got this, I'm okay. You're on loose gravel. It's just a matter of time. If you're ignoring internal alarms, you're going through the guardrail. And if you're embracing open rebellion, you're going over the cliff. Listen, as a pastor for 28 years of the same church, I guess I'm just tired of being at the bottom of the cliff, going through the wreckage, the blood, just the disaster, the ruined marriage, the the relationship that was never restored, the bitterness, the anger, the hatred that ended in murder. See, at the bottom of that cliff is where oftentimes preachers find themselves trying to pick up all the pieces and put it back together. So this morning, I'm standing in the gap and I'm simply saying, before that happens, please, take your foot off the accelerator. Stop and deal with it this morning. Identify something in your life. What is it? One thing, something that you would say, yeah, There is something I need to deal with. It's a marriage issue. It's a a marriage issue that I've just been ignoring. I've got to come clean. I've got to be honest with my wife. I'm going to deal with it. It, it, It's an addiction issue. It's it's something you would never guess, preacher, but it's something I'm I'm struggling with. And in fact, I need to talk to somebody. Really, I need, need, do you know somebody that, that I can talk to that maybe has been down this road? Yes. Maybe it's a financial situation that you just... You just continue to pile up the credit card debt. You're not sure how to pay your bills, what to do, how to stop it. It's just a train wreck and you just need someone to direct you in a way that you can get some help. We all need help. I need help. And so this morning, how about this? Help me, Lord. Help me. I'm on loose gravel, God. Help me. I'm driving way too close to that guardrail. Help me. God, I'm listening. The worship team's about to sing a song. And the, the last verse of the song, Jordan, I picked up on this in the first service. The last verse says this. Behold, I have a friend. The spirit breathing holy fire within my ever-present help. Speaking truth when I can't find it. I don't know what to do. The Holy Spirit comes today speaking truth. Till my light up this broken heart and light my way till my time on earth is done. Oh, Holy Spirit, breathe in me. Kingdom come. Oh, Holy Spirit, 
Let your work in me be done. You know, somehow Herod could go listen to John the Baptist, the greatest born of woman in this world, and never get his life changed. So I guess we could too. Please, listen to the Holy Spirit. He's your friend. He wants to breathe holy fire inside of you today. Shall we pray? Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God, for this message, for this warning, for this truth. God, I preach it in love. Lord, I know that 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 is the love chapter. And God, I, I was reading through that before the service and realizing, God, that this is love. This is love. Warning against wickedness, against Satan's destructive plan for our lives and simply saying that there's more, that God loves us and God's got a plan if we'll just simply listen. This is love. God, may everyone in this building know that my desire today is to just speak the truth in love. God, I know that Herod had a tragic end. And it's so sad. But God, today, I don't want that to be us. So I pray that you would just speak right now as we sing and worship. And whoever needs to use the altar, may they feel like they have liberty to come. Or if they need someone to talk to, I'll be here. God, just work. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?